Can we just do like a cold start? I'm just going to continue. Cold start. Yeah, we're in it oh, already. Cheers. Oh. Cheers. We're in it. Yeah. No millennial mm-hmm. pause. We're getting right to it. All right. Well, I'm going to get right to the nitty gritty. Have you guys seen that movie Kung Pao? No. <laughs> no. It is. I'm trying to look up. It's called Kung Pao Enter the Fist, and it was made in 2002. And it's essentially this guy took this super old, like, fighting movie. I think it was Japanese and did like the voiceover. So I don't even know if it's like appropriate anymore, but there's a part where the guy goes, that's a lot of nuts. And it's just like, I've never forgotten that line. If we're talking about like deep cuts, that's like the deepest of cuts from the most random of movies. That sounds like a really deep cut. Who, who like did the voiceover? Is he anybody that we would know? Oh, yes, it is. No? It's Steve. I think it's Steve. Let me make sure this is the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah. Listeners, for context, we were talking about how nuts work it. <laughs> so you're not just showing up listening to this podcast like, whoa, cold open talking about nuts. What's going on here? Work is nuts, but it's good nuts. It's it's busy, good but nuts. rewarding mm-hmm. equals good nuts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. I don't Probably know. Arrived there. Welcome. Welcome. Join us. Join us. <laughs> yeah. Join us in Any. the thick of the nuts. <laughs> We're not even drunk yet. This, this is, is a great is. solid start. Okay. Anyway, uh, I don't right. know the guy, random reference, but yeah, on to the good stuff. Strong start. Okay. Mm. So, okay. what's happening yeah. in the world? We've had a two week break. A lot of things have happened, as they do. Um, what have we learned lately and what questions does it raise? Um, Allie, I want you to go first because I want you to talk about the millennial relationship. <laughs> Take us there. The, wait, the relationship? Or, I wrote the relationship with sitcoms. With sitcoms. Okay. Because yes. the millennial Reading. relationship is a large topic <laughs> to tackle. How much time do you have? Are we talking marriage? Are we talking <laughs> friendships? Are we talking our relationship with our parents? There's a lot there. I um, feel like I had a stroke a little bit. Yes. I was like, the millennial relationship. <laughs> yes. With sitcoms. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. God. Okay, go. Okay. So I'll give you some background. My um, husband's nephew, his name is Aiden. He's living with us right now because he's playing junior hockey here in Chicago and we're much, much closer to his rink, but he's 19. And uh, I just don't spend any time around Gen Zers. So we typically watch like one or two episodes of TV every night after dinner. And he's like joined us for our little routine. And we restarted How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) Classic rewatcher, anxiety rewatcher right here. So that's like our new rewatch. And he's never seen it. And every time my husband and I watch a sitcom, namely Friends, New Girl, How I Met Your Mother, Parks and Rec, Schitt's Creek, we get so like, we talk a lot about the show and like the characters in the show and like what the show means to us. And we dissect, like every time I watch it, I see something different. And he, (laughs) Austin and I were in this deep conversation and Aiden's face just like looks at us like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and I'm re- I'm I don't know if this is like applies to everyone. You might have to ask Alyssa, Krista, but I don't think Gen Z has the same relationship with TV shows that we do. And I don't know what it is. But Austin and I were talking later last night, and I was like, I'm pretty sure, like multiple times throughout my 20s, these shows were like my friends. Like I would like come home from work and be like, I want to hang out with my friends. And like that sounds really bad, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. So I, I know you guys love sitcoms. Yeah. We have a lot of the same favorites. What do you, like, who are your friends? Like, what do you think about all this? 
Um, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think the relationship is super yeah. different uh, between Gen Z and Alyssa is Gen mm. Alpha. Mm. Uh, it's also very different. And I think it all what? comes, I know, it's terrifying. Uh, I think it is really like YouTube, TikTok, yeah. short form content. Like we didn't really grow up on that. Um, I feel like we were all well into our 20s by the time YouTube mm. really took off. But I just think that that form of entertainment was like what they grew up yeah. on. Um, and so to sit down and watch a whole TV episode or like a whole season, I just feel like they don't have the patience for it. Like, it's just not. I, I also know. find it interesting that like me personally, I built like, I don't know if that would also count as parasocial relationships, but it was with fictional like characters, like fictional worlds. Yeah. And I think that the difference with like yeah. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, these are real people behind the screen. So I wonder if like they, <laughs> is that healthier? Is that not as healthy? Like I, I don't, I don't have like a parasocial relationship with influencers. Like that's not how I use Instagram, but I imagine the generations behind us do. I'm more like on the Hemium Reddit, like, yeah, that one episode. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally yeah. get it too. And I think it's not even just with the characters. It's the mental location in your brain. Like I love going back to Stars Hollow mm-hmm. in the fall to rewatch Gilmore Girls because it feels familiar. It's a place in my memory that I can go back to. And it, it's also a physical place. But I think you're so right. I think it's a very, I don't know if, if it's a millennial thing for us to have isolated ourselves kind of in our period of our 20s where we were just kind of like focused on work and kind of heads down, didn't, I don't know, you kind of lose that aspect of being really connected when you're in a school environment. And so I think we all just kind of like hunkered down with our shows and that became our security blanket and our friends and our relationships that we maintain with those characters. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that, like, personally, I feel like I worked through a lot of my 20s through those shows, like, watching these characters, like, date and have friendships and have, like, breakups and get new jobs. And, like, it's a lot of the same, like, shared experiences. And I think there are, like, shows and media outlets of folks going through the same thing right now in their 20s for Gen Z. But I just, there's something different about that set of sitcoms from, like, 2000 to 2015 or so. 2015, mm-hmm. 2015. Yeah. Um, it's just different. And I couldn't put my finger on it last night. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, there's a lot of like, A, I think like humor has evolved a lot. Like what is funny on a mm-hmm. TV show? Like the multi-cam format just like isn't as popular. Or like when, the, when people try to do it, like How I Met Your Father, for example, it just wasn't yeah. as good. Like that type of humor just doesn't hit the same anymore. And I also think there's something about um, like streaming services because like when all those older sitcoms were on the air, it was like we were all watching maybe the same yeah. seven all at the same time. And we all connected with those characters. We talked about them when we went to school. Like it was just that little bubble. But now it's just endless content all the time. So you just fly through. You don't get, I don't think you get connected or attached in the same way anymore. Like, I don't think you even Mm. can, which is kind of sad. I know. And rewatching How I Met Your Mother, like we're just in season one and just seeing them sit around a table or around a bar and there's like no phone in sight. And you're like, 
dang. Because like yeah. we did watch How I Met Your Father because it was like in the same universe. And I was just curious if it would hit the same. Yep. And it didn't. Like every episode, oh. there's like phones, texting, Instagram, TikTok. And I'm like, yes, that's like representative of today. But like it, it just isn't as... It needs to be a different thing. You can't compare those two shows, even though they're supposed to be somewhat similar. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me sad. It makes me sad for Gen Z and Gen Alpha because I don't know. I just feel like those like relationships to those shows and those stories and those characters, they were just so formative. Um, And even now, like you said, like you rewatch and you kind of still learn things or you still notice things. Um, and yeah, I just wonder what's their version of that. It just, I don't know, makes me sad. I'm sure they have something that they, they consider their version of that, but I don't know. I, so Mm. I have a, a cousin, I guess it's like a second cousin, but she's in college right now and she is very much immersed in the world of like Roblox. Like that is where she spends a lot of time. And I think that that's so fascinating because I don't get that landscape. But again, like maybe that's another place where those relationships exist and (laughs) and, and they're getting that there. Allie has signaled that it's time to move on to the next topic no, by sounding no. the gong. No, I, I hit my mic as I reached for my keyboard to Google Roblox because I don't know what that is. And then I fucked up game. the conversation. It, no, no, no. It's just a game and it's like a, I don't know. I would compare it to Sims. I don't know that much about it. Oh. It's very lo-fi. It's very like, Cool. Yeah. Makes me feel old. It's some kind of digital digital platform where you can like a world. Build yeah. Things. You can build a world. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And like, like Farmville. Yeah. It's very it's a very like web three yes. vibes, yes. right? It's like yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um so what can <sighs> we talk about next? What's up next? Oh, this mm. one's deep. Yeah. Who put that in there? Krista, is that you? The uh, safety? The Psychologically safe. Okay, yes. So, okay, it's been a couple weeks since I put this in here. Let me see if I can remember. Um, Okay, so on a recent episode of Armchair Expert, uh, they had on Harvard professor Amy Edmondson, and she is a professor with, like, organizational psychology, and she was talking about the concept of psychological safety I'm laughing because <laughs> Allie just lifted laugh. her drink and I heard the ice cubes clink like clink in the glass and I was like, oh my God, I need a soda immediately. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Movie theater priming just kicked in and I was like, okay, what is happening? I don't feel psychologically safe. I'm just right going to myself. Uh, <laughs> Theory. <laughs> <either song>. <laughs> just, okay. So anyway. She was talking about psychological safety versus, um, like, the newer concept of safe Mm. spaces. And essentially, like, psychologically safety would be, like, I feel safe enough to give, like, controversial opinions or, like, risky feedback or something that I don't know how it's going to be received, but I feel safe enough knowing that the person I'm talking to isn't going to, like, shun me or like kick me out because of what I'm saying versus safe spaces where you're just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how she explained it now. Basically like safe spaces is no matter what you're saying, it's accepted. No feedback, no like conversations, no constructive criticism, 
But psychological safety leaves room for that constructive criticism. Was this in the context of where, like, it was, I think, yes, because she's, like, organizational. But I think it's interesting, too, from, like, any standpoint. Like, work, Mm. relationships. Like, I guess my, like, my question was, like, which environment would you prefer? Like, would you prefer a place where you can just say whatever you want to say and it's accepted and you don't have to like think about it or do you want to be pushed back on a little bit? I I used to think like the first one and I'm thinking through the lens of like relationships mostly. Um, I used to think the first one was better because you didn't like you weren't made to feel uncomfortable. You could just be whoever you were and say whatever you'd want to say. But as I get older, I think I prefer the first one because I feel like for the folks that are really close to you, know you well, want what's best for you, want to hold you to a high standard, love you, et cetera, like they should challenge you. And I think the process of being challenged is not comfortable, but being challenged is not the same as being judged. And it took me a really long time to learn that. So I think I would prefer the psychologically safe environment. Yeah, same here. I think I appreciate a little pushback. I think that's also how my brain works inside as well. I'm constantly trying to see all the different angles or like think about different perspectives of things. So for somebody else to provide that and say, well, what about this is nice as well. However, I think that it's conditional. So like, what's Mm -hmm. the situation? What's the context? Is it appropriate right now? Does this person just need to be heard and kind of vent and let them get it out and they don't need... Like, they're already going through it. They don't need more insight on top of the injury. Um, I think you kind of have to read the room, you know? It's yeah. it's not always one or the other. And I think that means I think there's a threshold of closeness or mm-hmm. intimacy, which I don't love that word in this setting. But I think you know there's, like, not everyone needs to create a psychologically safe environment for you. Like, I, I don't need strangers to challenge me on things or, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, they don't know enough about me yeah. to have that context. Yeah. But I think there's a threshold of relationships, work environments, partnerships, et cetera, where you ultimately do want them to feel comfortable enough to challenge you and you feel comfortable enough to challenge them and it becomes safe, but not cushy. Yeah. I as, hearing you say that I think the internet is one of those environments where people always want to challenge you. There is no safe space on the internet mm. really. It's like there's yeah. always going to be a yeah, yeah but person. Well, so that's then, kind of the that's a version of the world we live in. So it's interesting to think about that. Even then it's like psychologically safe is still safe to an extent. Like it's different if someone I care about or someone who I know loves me challenges me. Like that's going to be shared in like ultimately a constructive way, mm-hmm. but the internet, they don't even care about your feelings. It's just like pushback no. for the sake of pushback for the sake of noise. So in that case, it's not even, I don't even think that would qual- qualify as psychologically safe. It's just chaos. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Psychological chaos. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Krista, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I definitely prefer a little pushback. I think, especially at work, I respond so much better to that. Like, I'm always, like, I would rather my boss be like, hey, I see where you're coming from, but this is where you fucked up and, like, please fix it. Great. Like, I respond so well to that versus, like, somebody trying to dance around my feelings or, like, trying to dance around the issue. Um, So I definitely prefer, yeah. 
that psychologically safe space. But I do agree, Allie, that, yeah, like, you don't always need that from anybody. Yeah. Like, so it works with certain coworkers or certain relationships. And I feel like the it's really important to, like, to know your boundaries or your preferences. Like, I, it takes a lot to get behind my, like, wall. And I feel like once you're behind my wall, you have every right to call me out. But it takes a while to get there. And I think people either get it or they don't. And so the folks that are almost, like, too constructive constructive or critical like too soon it almost like backfires i'm like who are you to tell me this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this isn't work this isn't work yeah this is personal but yeah the context the nuance that you said kaylee is like perfect it's kind of a it depends yeah and i think a lot of like being an adult and having a successful relationship is saying which version you want and need in the moment of like hey just let me vent right now like i don't want your feedback just let me get it out And then other times you might say something like, well, what do you think about this? Like, what is your two cents on it? I think a lot of the time we leave that part out and we we assume the other person knows which version we want and then we're always wildly disappointed. So saying that part out loud, I think, is the second piece of that equation for it to be successful. Otherwise, we're all just so pissed off all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So speaking of work, I am not really working right now. Um... Kind of by choice, kind of by necessity. Um, I wrote about this in my most recent newsletter that I sent out this week. Um, November will be my 10-year anniversary of self-employment, working for myself, which is all great and wonderful and exciting, but I am so tired. And my client work is pretty slow right now, and I'm not feeling super motivated about any of it. I don't know that it's what I want to do anymore. So I'm taking a hiatus from client projects. I have a couple that I'm on retainer with, so it's very, very low maintenance. Um, I'm working like a super tiny amount just to keep a little bit of money flowing in for my own sanity. But for the most part, I have the bulk of every day to figure out what's next. And it's really hard and it's not super clear what the next move is for me right now, but I'm trying to just like be okay with not my, my typical when I'm just in a normal workflow, I'm like reaching out to people and being proactive and trying to line up projects for next month. And I'm not doing that right now. I'm just kind of letting myself be not busy. So it's really hard, but I think it's going to be good for me long-term. And I think it's definitely time because I've never really truly unplugged from work since I started. You know, I have my phone in my hand all the time and there's email, there's social media, there's all these things um, that allow you to always be on. And I think especially like within American culture, that's very much what we are supposed to do. It's like always be on. And if you're somebody whose self-worth is very tied to the work that you do and the money that you make and like the praise that you get from doing different things, it's so hard to disconnect. So that's where I'm at right now. And it's a little uncomfy. I'm not going to lie. Have you guys taken a break? I'm very excited. Thank you. you. Um... No. no breaks since you started working. So. No. no, no, not really. You either, no. Allie. No breaks, just job to job all the way through. Yeah, ever since like first year of college. Yeah, like How do you hearing feel about it. How I I am jealous of you. I'm not gonna lie. And I, I, I don't know how it is. Like, 100%. I relate to the whole, like, my worth is tied to money, praise, busy, like, busyness, like, output. Mm-hmm. So, I 
don't have that mindset right now. So I can, I can see where it would be good, but also hard. But mm-hmm. from where I sit, I'm like, fuck, like I am so tired and it's hard. Cause like, I love what I'm doing. Like I know without a shadow of a doubt, 30 years from now, I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, this, this built me. Right. It was mm-hmm. like that kind of experience. But I also look forward to the day that I can do what you're doing. <laughs> and that's why I'm working so hard. Right. So like, it's, it's cool to see that also in my future. Like I look up to you for that. So Thank you. congratulations. I, I, I'm in the thick of it right now. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with it. Cause I'm still sitting down at the computer and checking mm-hmm. my email and like waiting for something to come in. And I'm like, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this right now. You have to get up, go outside, go for a walk, like go do something. And so it's definitely not easy. It's not a a habit that I'm feeling like is easy to break. I'm having a hard time with it, but I'm working on it. So far, so good. I'm only a couple weeks in. Um, We'll see how long it lasts. I didn't give myself any hard stop or anything. Maybe it'll be through the end of the year. I don't know. December is always super slow for me anyways. And people are kind of winding down for year end. But um, I did send that email out and I got more replies from that email than any newsletter I've ever sent out before, where so many people were like, Interesting. oh, I feel the same way. Or like, I'm going through it too. I don't know what to do next, but I'm mm-hmm. so burnt out and I've never had a real vacation. And I think we all just need to be a little bit more European when it comes to work, you know? Like they take a month off every year. They allow themselves to unplug yeah. and we just don't do that. And it's not great. So in Durant... That's all. That's where I'm at. That's the the spot that I'm in right now, and we'll see. Why does it feel like – I feel like the past year, year and a half, it's been worse than ever. Like, I feel like everybody I see on the internet is like, I am tired. I just want to, like, go touch grass. I just want to go start a mm-hmm. coffee shop. Like, everybody is dying. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> what – what do you think it is? Like, I wonder if part of it was it, having the pandemic when we had that period of kind of rest because we were kind of forced to stay home. We got a chance to feel what that feels like a little bit. I think a lot of people continued to work if their you know company allowed them to go remote or whatever, but it was a different feeling. And I think going back into full speed ahead mode has been kind of jarring for a lot of people. And they're like, oh man, I needed that period of rest to recharge and reset and do a good job moving forward. And it's just not built into the way our world works. Um, and so it's kind of a bummer. And I think people are feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, um, I'm sure there's other things too. I'm sure it's like this whole people getting over this idea of like hustle culture and go as hard as you can. And I think people are kind of getting tired of that message. I think that a lot of people have tried that on and they're like, okay, I did that. Um, I'm exhausted now. What's next? Um, and I think that's kind of where I am too. I'm like, mm, I need to do something that's at a slightly different speed moving forward because that is not sustainable. I also think like culturally, I think that we are inundated with like way too many inputs. Like mm-hmm. I remember I had a conversation with my parents like last year and I was like, when you were my age, like how many people's opinions did you know about like in your life day to day? Like, and they were like, what? And I was like, how many people did you hear what they thought every day? You had your partner, maybe your parents, your coworkers, news people, right? But you weren't inundated. Like 
every hour with just like random ass people's opinions and ideas and celebrations and fail. Like we aren't built to have this many people's voices in our heads, essentially. Mm. And I wonder, Kaylee, if like, I know you're active on social media. I wonder if even subconsciously you don't feel like you can slow down because you are surrounded by a lot of people that haven't. And I think that that's partially like speaking macro. Why is everyone dealing with this? Like Krista said, it's like, I certainly feel that way. Like if I ever reach your stage, I want to go fully offline, which is kind of what you just said, Krista. Everyone wants to unplug, but that could be the difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't had any major breakthroughs or anything so far. So if I do, I'll report back. But right now I'm just kind of like, whoo, taking a breather. I'm still in the the come down phase, I think, where I'm trying to slowly stop the train instead of coming to a crashing halt. What do you think, like, if you were to come to a crashing halt, like, what do you think the worst thing is that could happen? That's a good question. Um, I had a friend who got married, I think it was two years ago, and she was getting ready for the wedding. She was a freelancer, too. She did the exact same type of work. She was very busy. And she one day decided that enough was enough, and she put up an away message on her email inbox and was like, I'm disconnecting for three weeks until my wedding happens. If you need me, I'll be back when I'm back. And I think that that's what happens. I think you just have to do a hard stop and shut everything down. The risk of that is that you could piss your clients off. You could lose your, your, you know, your recurring work that's built your business. I think the hope is that people will be gracious and understand, like, if, if this person's doing this, it must be a pretty serious situation. And it was in her case. Her hair was falling out. She was extremely stressed out. She was like, I can't enjoy my wedding. I'm not excited. All I feel is just a huge amount of dread about my workload. Um, so yeah, I think that it just kind of all comes crashing down because it catches up with you. So I guess this is me trying to proactively get out in front of the train crashing. Um, but it, it's, it's scary. It's risky because I could come back and things could be totally different and I could be super out of the loop and, um, that's mine to deal with and to figure out and to figure out what's next. But I'm just trying to sit with that information gap, even though it makes me extremely uncomfortable to not know what's ahead. I'm hoping that some, like, brilliant idea will hit me like a strike of lightning, but not yet. (laughs) I wonder, though, like, if you're not fully in love with how things are going right now, how bad could it really be if things were different on the other side? That's true. Yeah. That is so true. I feel like that is kind of the the case in all aspects of my life right now. So I'm just having my personal renaissance right now. <laughs> One day at a time. One day at a time. That's right. <laughs> so what are we shifting gears just a little bit? What are we watching, reading, loving right now? We've had a two-week break. So I feel like we should have some some good recommendations here. Allie, you dropped the bomb before mm. we hit record that you finished Fleabag. Oh. So I'm going to need you oh, to go guys. first with your Fleabag. I... First of all, seasons one and two? Oh, I watched it in two days. The whole thing? Uh-huh. It's really not that many episodes, right? 12? It's not. It's not hard to do. No. It's like, I. Yeah. It takes a yeah. lot for me to start a new show. I don't know mm-hmm. what that says about me. I have not dissected it yet. But it is a large undertaking emotionally. And I was out that day. We were supposed to record. I had a migraine. So I was just like 
totally spent. And after my medicine worked, I was just exhausted and laying in bed. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start a new show. (laughs) Not a very fuzzy show, I'll tell you. But Mm -mm. I was also like feeling intellectually sound. So I was like, cool, let's do it. First of all, she's fucking hilarious and brilliant. I feel like, have you guys seen her show like in person? No, but I saw the AMC version when they had it in theaters of the one woman Mm. show. So I did see that. I want to see that or watch it because I immediately did research on her. I was like, who is this human? She's amazing. Um, Hilarious, but yeah, not very like warm and fuzzy in the way that we, you know, the sitcom warm and fuzzy that we were just talking about, right? But yeah, it was (laughs) so many thoughts. (laughs) Where do we even begin? All I'm saying is like, I grew up in the church and wow, that was an amazing second season. (laughs) Season two is the best. Season one is great, but season season two two is just chef's kiss. Perfect. Season two is perfect maybe my favorite season of a TV show ever. I'll say that. Like, it's perfect. It was really hard to watch their family dynamics. Like, I wanted to, like, shake her. But also, I wanted to be like, go run away and never come back. Like, I didn't know how to... And, like, I don't have a sister, but I would imagine, like, it can get super complex like that, too. Like, there's so much resentment. And I was like, why? But, like, there's so much happened to them. Like, I don't know. It was... There's so many layers to it in 12 episodes. Uh, The whole, the whole dynamic, the whole relationship there, that was really the way it ended. I don't want to spoil it, but the way it ended, I would love to know what the alternate ending is because it's not a, it's not a super satisfying ending. I will say that. Um, And there's a final line in there that just cuts like a knife. Oh, it's brutal, but it's, that whole dynamic. I mean, there's such chemistry. And he's a gay man in real life. I don't I I mean, their yeah. chemistry is like okay. insane though. I know. Their chemistry is ridiculous. Um and yeah, she has said that there is an alternate ending, which she she says she'll never say what it is, which is I get it. She doesn't want to like cheapen the actual ending, I guess, but like goddamn, I want to know what it is. <clears throat> Well, Um, I feel like I was reading like a Vice article on it that was published originally when it came out. And it was saying that we like we we were her disassociation. Did you guys read that or do you have that? Like when she winks at the camera? Anytime she talks to the audience, it's like her disassociating. The first time he caught that, I was like, he sees her. I know. You're just like, oh. Because he was like, where'd you you go? And I was like, yeah, where did you go? Yeah. So the fact that she doesn't need us later is like, I think speaks volumes. I know. It's... It's like not a it's not a super satisfying ending as a viewer because obviously you want that chemistry to continue between them but um but it is a really good ending like that like you just said the fact that she doesn't need us to continue with her because she's ready to move on from that like it's so good and she good. takes it's the perfect. statue back it's a final fuck you to her stepmom yeah. like no you don't deserve it i gave you a chance now i'm taking yes. it back i love it good for yeah. her mm-hmm. so good but yes, Man. just it's so it's so funny and it's so 
I don't know. I feel like there. She, I get. I read something about it that she her whole premise with writing Fleabag was to say the unsayable with the dialogue of the show and with the whole premise of it. And like, what are yeah. the things we don't share with other people? And what's what are the things that are really hard for us to process and get through? So we've got death. We've got super difficult family dynamic. We've got romantic relationships, friendships emotional attachments, all of these bases, all of these high notes that she hits on. And she does it in such a way that's so, it just feels so familiar. I just feel like even though you've never yeah. been in that exact exact situation, you connect with it so much because it's so human. She does mm-hmm. it in such a human way. Yeah. And she just, um, I think it's really hard to talk about a lot of the stuff that she does without beating your audience over the mm-hmm. head with it. Like, she doesn't do that in any of the dialogue. None of the story feels that way. Like, I just don't know how she struck that balance. Like, it's just, it's just a perfect show. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I was on the Fleabag Reddit, as I am, and looking over, there was a whole post on the theory of why some people were named and some people weren't. Did you guys read that? Because, like, there's, there's priest, there's dad, godmother, Oh, no, sorry. Hot priest. Hot <laughs> ba- priest the, right. the banker guy. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> bus rodent. <laughs> Hot misogynist. I guess they don't, she doesn't always address them, but there were people that like, they were unnamed because the relationships affect her so much and it causes a lot of shame. So she didn't want to like mm. give them a name or doesn't want us to know like who they are. And then the other category or this person's theory is like, they're named, they're not named. So they can't hurt her. Like that's probably uh-huh. like the godmother dad dynamic. That makes I sense. I probably need to watch it over again, but I, that was one thing I realized because yes, I do watch my shows with subtitles. <laughs> so I noticed that it was just like it's dad or hot priest. And there, there was no like name. And I was like, what is his name? Mm-hmm. And Google was like, I never thought about that. He was never named. Interesting. Huh. That's super yeah. interesting. I never thought about that either. That makes all the sense. I need to in the watch world. it again. Huh. Yeah. I, yes, I just did. Would you say, Allie, that re-watch. that. Re-watch. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, okay. That was saying me too. <laughs> no, you go. Oh, Allie, I was going to ask you if it gets added to your like, oh, yeah. rewatch list, like your comfort It's going to be my okay. solo rewatch list up there with normal people that I watch alone. I haven't finished that. So I read the book. So I read, I watched the show before I read the book. <laughs> the show is very slow. Because very there's so slow. much that's in the book that you don't get because it's like internal monologue stuff. Yeah. And so the show itself is very slow. But so should I recommit? Should I go back in? Is it worth finishing? It's a really good winter, like slow okay. show. Um, amazing soundtrack. I have that playlist okay. saved on my Spotify. All right. But I don't remember why I watched that show. I think my friend Aaron recommended it. But it's that's like a solo rewatch, like Pride and Prejudice and Princess Diaries. Mm, good ones. If I'm by myself. Krista, what are you watching? Um, so I was just going to say, speaking of rewatches, I am rewatching Schitt's Creek for, I think, Yay. the third or fourth time. Ew, David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so... Good. It's another one of those shows. Okay, I I will say this. Uh, The first time I watched it, it probably took me a full two seasons to really, really get into it. But it's a rare show that gets better every single season. Like it, I don't know any other show that really does that. 
But it goes for like five or six seasons and every single season, better and better. The character development is insane. And it just is such a good blend of um, just super smart, sharp humor and just like the sweetest relationships ever. I don't know. It's just so good. It's such a good balance. Um, but yeah, I'm on season three right now and it's starting to get, starting to like hit its stride. And it always makes me really excited every time I get to this point. I love that I show. Up on this train. I, I have tried yeah. watching it a couple of times. I've always been in a really bad mood when I've tried watching it. And I was like, this is not funny. Nothing is funny. I hate everything. So definitely not the right place to go <laughs> to a funny show and try to commit yourself. So I think I need to give but it But I feel try. like yeah. once you, once you love it from the very first episode, you'll be dying. Like, I, I feel like it's one of the, yeah. I don't know if Eugene and Daniel Levy designed it like this, but it's like a, it's like a hard exterior, soft interior. Like oh. that you have to prove yourself to the show. <laughs> I'm getting very deep. I'm getting yeah. very deep. But I, I gave my dad <laughs> the same lecture. I was like, give it a season. Just give it a season. Put in the time yeah. and you'll watch it forever. Yeah. It's amazing. I'll say this too, like the first season or so, it's very like, they're just kind of character like character and like uh, they don't really have a lot of dimension or depth um and so for me it was really hard to get into because of that but when that character development kicks in it really kicks okay. in yeah and it's so good yeah you need to give it at least go through at least make it okay. to season three i will say like, that i did see is it alexis is that her name <laughs> mm-hmm. i've seen her dance Many times on my Instagram explore. Okay. A little a little bit of Alexis. Yes. I am very yeah, yeah, familiar yeah. with that dance routine. So her development is probably one of my favorites. When she oh, went to college, okay. I cried. So good. I was Yeah. Well don't spoil it <laughs> for Kaylee. Kaylee and no, listeners. that's okay. That's not a that's not a deal breaker. That's not a deal breaker. But yeah. Sorry. But no, you're right. Like her <laughs> Her character development is so good. And I mean, just all of them, honestly. And just speaking of like coming from the fleabag family dynamics, I like know. seeing these family dynamics grow and change is so good and so satisfying. Yeah. Um right. and like honestly, as far as series finales go, like I think it had the some of the best like last few episodes of it. Have you ever watched the finale and then immediately watched the pilot? No. I do that no. with like all the shows I watch. It's actually fascinating because it's like you go from stranger. <laughs> I don't know what this be. This makes me sound like such a loser. They're strangers <laughs> and then you know them and then you watch back to the pilot yeah. and you're like fascinated. Like yeah. I don't know anything about TV work like you do, Chris. I don't know anything about what it's like to write a script, cast a show, anything, but like there's so much that goes into it. It's so fascinating to me. And I wonder like, you know, you said season one, they were kind of caricatures in a way i wonder if that's how they wrote them yeah. initially or if they just had to find their stride until season two or three but i don't know what's intentional yeah. it's just so fascinating well yeah it wouldn't surprise me if that's how they wrote them just because i feel like eugene levy and um, what's the mom's real yeah like i feel like that's sort of their vibe right. anyway. Like, all the movies they were in in the 90s, Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show and stuff, like, it's all that style. 
So I have to imagine that went into a lot of the first season at least. That's really interesting to me that it starts as like a hyperbolic version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of goes the other direction where they fine tune it because The Office, which I have seen, we've all seen, um, is the opposite. I feel like Mm -hmm. the characters start out kind of rough in the early days. You're not really sure what everybody's thing is. But then as the seasons go on, you're like, oh, this is this person's bit. And this is Mm -hmm. who this person is. And it becomes very refined. So it's interesting. It's interesting that it goes the opposite direction. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, even like, even like sometimes shows go backwards from that in a bad way. Like, Friends will always be my favorite show, my favorite comfort rewatch, but I do think that like the the best seasons were like 2, 3, 4 and then they start to turn into characters mm. of themselves. Um and sometimes that happens in like a bad way. I feel like by the by like season 10 of Friends, it's just sort of like they're just very silly exaggerated versions of who they were in seasons mm. 2, three, yeah. 4. Um which I still love, but it just wasn't as good. And it's not as, it's not as meaty. Um, so the fact that I think like Schitt's Creek was able to do that over five or six seasons was just, yeah. it's just very insane. That was and the unique. same arc with New Girl. Like season one, mm-hmm. super car- caricature-y. The middle of the show was actually quite meaty. Even when Megan Fox was on, I was actually delightfully surprised by her role. And then toward the end, it kind of came back around to the let's just do one last season thing. Like it was three years mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah. Have you guys seen it all the way through? I haven't seen the final season. No, <sighs> I have not. I've seen, seen new girl seven times. It, no. <laughs> it was Whoa. like the show that saved me kind of thing, you know, like in college and after, but it, the middle of the show is my favorite. Sometimes I'll just restart it at season two, um, to get over. Who's like, your favorite new girl character? Yeah, Schmidt or Nick. Yeah, I love I my love brother, Zoe Deschanel, but she kind of plays that pixie manic girl, and yes. just like too much. I'm like, there's there's more yeah. to this than than yeah. that. Yeah, my brother is a perfect blend of Nick Miller and Schmidt, which seems impossible, yeah. but he is both of them in one person. That's hilarious. Probably because he's watched the show so many times, mm-hmm. it just happened. <laughs> What a what a combo! Should I watch? Should I like go through a new girl? You probably should. Yeah. Like, should I yeah. watch it? Do it after Shit's Creek. Yeah. Allie, do we get to hear more about why New Girl was the show that? Do you want to speak to that or we save that for another day? Oh, we can do it. It's we're already top of mind. Um, I struggled a lot in college. I think I was like, I worked three jobs. I was on scholarship. I had like 21 hours a semester, but I was in like a very transformative time in my like early 20s, like all that stuff. Went through a couple different friend groups. We're getting really deep, but New Girl was there. <laughs> like it was the show I'd come back to after class. And if I didn't feel like going yeah. out, I would stay home and watch it. Or um, if I didn't have plans, if I didn't get invited anywhere kind of thing, you know? So it yeah. was definitely like a very strong constant for me and it's since like I've rewritten my relationship with it every time I've watched it but it has those like nostalgic tones of like I remember what was going through my life when I watched this episode kind of thing um probably the same as like songs and movies do for people too but yeah I don't know though I was just gonna say this is why I love tv so (laughs) much because to me it's like no other version of storytelling I mean, I guess people are attached to books and movies and songs, yes. But with TV, 
you usually have like several seasons of relationships and building attachments to the characters and the stories play out so much slower. And it's just like such a different type of attachment. It's the same with books and series. Like I remember like Harry Mm, Potter, series of unfortunate events, um, other series as a kid, like you get so invested. Like I would have like mental breakdown. Like my mom, like as a kid, my mom would be like, let's wait to read the last book until later. Like give yourself a break. (laughs) And even still, like I've got series at home that I'm like, I have to be prepared to reread this entire series. But a one-off novel is like a movie to me, a very short glimpse into a different world, not Mm -hmm. enough to get invested, but a movie series and a TV series, like you get into it. And at the end, it's like, Where did she go? My friends are gone. I know. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a small town of grief. It really is. The good thing is you can go back and revisit it. It never dies. It never dies. Um, I'm going to ditch my – I was going to quickly talk about a YouTube show that I am watching and loving, but I'm going to ditch that because I want to quickly – I know we're getting kind of far into the episode, but – there's this whole conspiracy theory going around on Twitter, or it has been, about Gilmore Girls and about how Lorelai is actually a terrible person. And I want to talk about this because that's my comfort <laughs> rewatch. That was my college show of like, if I'm not doing anything, I can hang out with the two Lorelai's. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so when you look back in hindsight on the decisions that Lorelai makes and the things that she does and says, you kind of are like, oh my God, is that is that true? Is she is she terrible? And I don't think she's terrible, but I think she's not that cookie cutter version that Hollywood so often presents as like the perfect mother. And the whole show is packaged as like, oh, look at this beautiful mother-daughter relationship. I think the reality of it is she's a single 30-something-year-old mom trying to raise a teenager. Um, she messes up a lot and that makes her more relatable because we all mess up and fall down and make shitty choices and do take the wrong fork in the road. And I think if she had been a more perfect version of herself, the show would have lacked what makes it so good. And mm-hmm. because even though yeah. she does keep falling down and making terrible decisions and and Rory does too, you're kind of like cheering for them the whole time because they have that humanity aspect that's so yeah. relatable. It makes it easy to connect with the characters. Yeah. What do you guys think? I would even... I would go further and say that, like, everybody kind of sucks in that show. (laughs) Like, but in the same way that you were just saying. Like, I think it's so interesting on that show how, like, you do have this juxtaposition between this very cookie-cutter, idyllic, Mm small-town life and characters who are just so... They just Mm kind of suck a lot of the times. Like, Rory sucks. Jess fucking sucks. Don't even get me started. Dean sucks. Are you team Logan? Am I frozen? No. Am I frozen? Are you team Logan? I think think y'all... Are you team Logan? Allie? I don't know that I'm team anybody, honestly. Like, I'm I'm team... I'm team Lorelai's mom just because she is so fabulous. She does, like she, sucks she improves a lot. She, she does get oh better. She does. I hated them. But but at least she's like so funny. Like <sighs> she has one-liners that fucking kill she's me every time. But anyway, yeah, like everybody on that show is just kind of like I don't know. They just kind of suck. But in a way that is very relatable, yeah. I think. Um, 
And yeah, you still root for them, which I think is really hard to pull yeah. off. It's almost it's almost like they're showing us these characters as like what not to do. Like <laughs> like don't way, be yeah. Jess, don't be the what was the really Jared Padalecki? What was his name? Dean. Dean. Don't be Dean. Like he Dean. loved her too much. You know, he kind of smothered her. I, yeah. I know. It was like, and Logan was like, like he was pretty shitty to her. He didn't treat her very well. He was like the rich boy who like thought he could throw money at his problems and sweep her off to some wonderful vacation and everything would be great. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, bad, 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 bad. And and even in the the part two where they do the four seasons thing, it's like, oh, we're still doing this. We're still making terrible decisions. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even really, I don't even really like yeah, to watch I, that. I didn't love the, it. The I didn't love it. I will say, of the three boys, I would have to pick Logan. Oh, my like, God. The other two suck. The I was team suck. Jess. And I'm sorry. At least Jess challenged her. He was not nice to her, and he was not reliable, but he at least was like, Go do what's best for you. Listen, you know, he like just was a psychologically her. safe boyfriend. Nailed it. Was he? He was such a dick. They were to all her dicks. And they were all dicks. And Even Luke. They were all dicks. And he had a reason to because he had a chip on his shoulder because he didn't have anybody he could count on. I'm not making excuses Listen. for bad behavior, but I'm saying the context matters. Oh, Listen, any. I just feel like girls our age were jizzing their pants just because he like had. I was a just about to say any boy that can pants. roll up a paperback in his back pocket, done. Get, <laughs> get out of here! Oh my god, I'm, I'm sweating. Done. I'm done. Oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm I saw your tweet, Chris. It was done. like Jess says. What was it? it was something like <laughs> girls be like, oh Jess from Gilmore Girls. Wow, look at him. He's so great. He can read. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like he's such a dick and he's so just, he's so pretentious and terrible. But it's like because he can read, girls are like, oh my God. They the were, bar is so low. Oh my God. They were all the bar is pretentious. So, I think that's what it is. The bar for men is so, so low. low that I'm just like, fuck you. You could literally guys. pick up a book and like girls are like, marry me. <laughs> marry me. Oh my God. We have a problem. Kill me. <laughs> We should probably address the larger problem of the bar being so low. But moving on to the lightning round, since we're, we really dug into the TV and movies. <laughs> okay. Two fun questions this time. The first one, what is a philosophy or outlook on life or way of living that you absolutely agree with? Uh, what? what? <laughs> I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. Okay. okay so I'm going to give you an example here to add some color. So I've been reading a lot of philosophy lately. So one of the philosophers that I've been reading, he's an existentialist, and he has this concept of good faith. So good faith lays a foundation, a foundation, I can talk, foundation for authentic living at the pre-reflective level. Authenticity represents a reflective attitude of accepting one's freedom and the unstable nature, nature of consciousness. So basically it's saying like, you own the decisions that you make and the choices that you make in life. And however those play out, those are yours to handle. The flip mm. side of that, bad faith, is like when you're like, oh, poor me. The world happens to me. I'm totally out of control. Like bad things just happen to me. I'm unlucky. Like it's not my fault. So do you own it or are you a victim is basically the two sides of that. And mm. I'm very much on board with you make choices, you own your decisions, good or bad, and you got to 
play those cards however they they land on the table. I, I'm never somebody who's going to be like, oh, it's not my fault. Like, I ran out of money and now I'm poor and help me. Like, yeah. I'm just not, I'm never going to do that because that doesn't feel good. Yeah. I've never I've never been right. on that train. I think like I read <laughs> I read something. It was probably some Instagram bullshit, but it was like nobody cares about you as much as you can or something like that. And it was like you own your shit. Like it's your life. It's mm-hmm. your decisions. Like, yeah, other people are crappy. Like systems are fucked. I'm cussing a ton right now because this gets me heated. But ultimately, you have full control over your life and your decisions, even if you have a partner. Um, I would never like blame Austin for things of my own. And the older I get, the more adamant I am about that. Because what that does is it also empowers you to like, if you want to change yes. something, change it, right? Like nothing changes unless it changes kind of thing. Yes. And once you realize 100%. that like the world is your oyster, nothing else matters. You can change anything you want. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mine. Does anything else come to mind of you of like ways of thinking or maybe like axioms, like little sayings or philosophies or whatever that you think like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. like I, I relate with that. So yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in like, you're always going to end up where you, you are supposed to end up like in all things. Um, that's like literally the meaning behind Mm -hmm. my tattoo. Um, but I think in relation to like your good faith stuff that you're talking about, I do think it's like, yeah, there is that aspect of, I think like fate or destiny, but it's a mix of, but you also Mm -hmm. have to take action. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just sit around and like wait for good things to happen to you. Like if you are unhappy with whatever is happening in your life, like you have to take action. And then that's how you end up where you need to be. Like there's no just waiting mm-hmm. it out or just like expecting good shit to fall right. in your life. Nobody's going to pick you. So I feel like, like waiting to be picked. Exactly. Nobody's going to pick you. Yeah. 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 Franklin <laughs> agrees. He says one plus. <laughs> what um, about you, Allie? Well, your tattoo comment, Krista, reminded me, my favorite essay is by Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson. It's called Self-Reliance. I have a tattoo for it too. And it's a EK, just hit my mic. Sorry. It's an EKG line and it represents the quote, trust thyself, every heart vibrates to that iron string. And I found it when I was in middle school and it's all about like, it's essentially just a whole thing about trusting your gut and you know what's best and everyone is self-serving. And it's not too deprecating, but it's just real enough that you're like, whoa. So that reminded me of that one, but I don't, I don't know if I'd call it like a philosophy by how I live life. One I found recently on Instagram, I don't remember the source. I think it was some like Buddhist person, but it was like, everything in the past is not real. And everything in the future is not real. Like the literal only real thing in your life is this moment. And I am not a very present person. Like it takes a lot of effort for me to be like, just be. Both from a perspective of rest and also like where my mind is. I'm always like very future-minded, always planning, always thinking ahead. It got me to where I am now, but I'm like done with that. Like I'm just tired. Like I think I let so many things go by in my early 20s and mid-20s and I'm like, no more. So being present and thinking about like the only real thing in your life is this moment. Like I tried, I tried to live by that now. Yeah. It's kind of a version of that good yeah. faith thing of like, 
you have this present moment, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to act in good faith or bad yeah. faith? Are you going to take action and and be the one steering the ship or are you going to let things happen to you and suffer the consequences? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard though because Allie, I'm the same way. I'm like super yeah. future-minded. My head is always like three, five, ten years into the future. And I think that is what makes me a very like action-oriented person because I'm like, if I want to end up XYZ, like I need to take action yeah. right now. I think it's hard because I feel like if I were super in the present all the time, I don't know that I necessarily would like be as action yeah. oriented. I, I think there I think the value is, is not in it's not black and white. It's in is this a moment worth setting everything else aside for? I mm. think that mm. is the discernment yeah. that you gain with time because there's sometimes you have to be future minded. You you can't like the whole point of the present is to focus on the future, right? But there are other times you're like, I'll never get this moment back. Like that's why I think it's sad that people spend all their vacations, all their time at a concert on their phones for the future. Like what side note, whoever watches yeah. the concert video on their phone ever after a concert, nobody. No so like part of me is like nobody. it's not necessarily about choosing one or the other. It's what are the moments that's worth setting everything aside and just looking at something and taking a mental picture and just basking in the moment. And then when is it buck worth buckling down and planning? Like I didn't have that discernment. I was one or the other, mostly the planning person yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's me now. I'm terrible at being in the present. It, it, there's seasons that it's easier. I think, and you can't beat yourself up either or you'll not be able to be effective for either one. So yeah. Yeah, I think the best way I've I've like sorted out how to make it make sense for me is to just be really deliberate about where I spend my time. So like when my grandma was still alive, I was like, I really want to spend time with her and I want to call her on the phone and I want to make sure I make time to hang out with her and spend time with her because I know she's not going to be here forever. Like I want to be very deliberate about showing up for her and being present and having this relationship. And I think that that's probably true for all relationships that you keep and all activities and all those things. It's like you invest time and energy into what's important to you. And if you're not being mindful about that and you're just squandering it by scrolling on your phone or, you know, doing dumb yeah. shit all the time that's where you end up with the resentment of like oh like my life isn't what I wanted it to be or I have regrets or I feel like a victim you know in you end up in that bad faith situation so it's all related um part two of this question rolls in nicely here is what 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 is one way you've learned to effectively enforce accountability with yourself as an adult and so I asked this question because we're at a period in our lives now where we're a little bit older. Our parents are not holding our hands and saying, here's what you need to do and make sure you do this and tick all these boxes. How do you be a good parent to yourself is kind of the the shorter version of this question. How do you keep yourself accountable and on track? Do you have any tips or tricks or it, suggestions? It's funny that you say that because that is <laughs> that I lately I've been doing the thing where it's like, future Allie would appreciate this. So in a way, mm -hmm. I am looking ahead. I am planning ahead because I'm taking care of my future self, like mm -hmm. mostly with chores or just a few extra work things at the end of the day so that 9 p.m. Allie can just rest, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Lately, that's been a heuristic that's worked really well for me because I have so much evidence of times where I'm like, I wish I did this earlier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't like yeah. that feeling. So that's something that's kept me accountable. But what about you guys? Yeah. yeah. What about, Krista, you got anything? 
exact same for me. Like, again, I am just constantly in the future and like thinking about like, what, what do I think I'm going to want a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. And that truly informs most of what I like, where I spend my time and like what I prioritize. Um, and it used to not be as big of a driver, Mm -hmm. but like you said, there are so many things where I'm like, I wish I had started yeah. this like a year earlier or whatever. And so now I just, that's so motivating to me. I never think about the future ever. I th- I think as far as I think <laughs> into the future is when past me makes a snack for future me and puts it in the refrigerator. That's as far as it goes. It's a yogurt <laughs> cup and that's it. That's all I got as far as future thinking goes. Like I love, I'm a little jealous. I love when past me makes a snack for future me. That oh is. Oh my gosh. That's perfect. But that's so being in the present, and I'm more of a past thinker. So mm. I have my little paper calendar that you can't see, um, probably, but I have my paper calendar and it's for exercise. And I, it's very lo fi, it's very manual, but it keeps me accountable. And I, of course, use my little watch and everything, but I like seeing that on my desk every day and like, did you how many times did you work out this week and like are you taking care of yourself it's a visual that reminds me that i need to be proactive about taking care of myself cuz nobody else is going to do it for me and so even as something as simple as a paper calendar has gone a really long way at being like hey are you showing up and taking care of yourself or do you have a bunch of empty slots on your calendar this month because if you do that's on you and so it's right there it's easy and it keeps it top of mind so are you big on like yeah. retros and annual reflection? Like you're big on that stuff, right? I did. And I stopped doing, I did one every single year, 2015 through th- 2020. And after 2020, I was like, I'm too tired for this. Mm-hmm. I don't care about reflecting. I just want to take a nap. And so I haven't done one since then. But um, it is helpful, I think, to take a look back mm-hmm. and be like, wow, good job. Like you did a lot of cool things. I just... I got tired of doing it in a public forum. So now I just do it kind of for myself. I don't put it on my blog. I don't send it out to my newsletter because I'm also kind of of the thinking that like, do people really want to hear about this or is this more for me? I felt like it was just more of a private practice type thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, good talk today. Good stuff. Oh man, we really, that hour. That was a good one. It really was. I feel like I, I, really I hope you've enjoyed not it. To toot our I our own showed up for that. The last one I did not yeah. show up for. <laughs> no, this is good. Okay, well, well, it's hard. Cheers on the way out with my water bottle and our empty cup. Cheers. There we go. Great. Thanks for listening. Wee. Bye, friends. All right. Bye.